Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. We are so excited to have you guys with us today. And, you know, we've all gone through a couple of years of um, a little bit of hell on earth. And so today's podcast, we are very, very excited to interview someone that we think you guys are going to love. And he lives in New York, which is going to be fun because I'm about to ask him all of his favorite foods and tell us everything about Manhattan that we need to know. But Drew Jackson wrote a book called God Speaks Through Wombs. And I think when we're going through a difficult time, we really need the poets and the prophets to speak. And Mm -hmm. we need the opportunity to sit back and to listen and to understand what they're trying to communicate to us. And when we don't understand the times we're living in, that's when we need the artists to rise. And so Drew, please say hello to our people and welcome to the Why Though Podcast. It's an honor to have you with us today. Yes, thanks for having me. It is so good, so good to be here. Um, Yeah, really honored to be on. All right. So you, as Ashley said, you are in New York City. What are you doing in New York City? Tell us a little bit about your everyday. Yes, I'm in New York. So I've been here for about three, just over three years uh, with my my wife, Janae, and our seven-year-old twin daughters, Zora and Sahila. And we we came here about three years ago to uh, plant a church in the East Village. So I'm a pastor. Um, That's that's sort of my day-to-day. other than that, I'm hanging out with my family and writing poetry and playing basketball. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you have a basketball team that you're just like ride or die? These years, yes, so I so I'm a I'm a diehard Sixers fan. Philly, oh, okay, Sixers. Oh, so that's that's my that's my squad. Even though we're going through some some tough times right now. Well, we're that's good. when you need the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Called <laughs> yeah, you do. You know, you need that faithful fruit you of the Holy Spirit to rise up. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write the book, God Speaks Through Wombs. I mean, Mm. that title alone is so incredibly compelling. And Mm. we as women intuitively know this and intuitively understand it. And so I'm just curious what you're a man writing this book. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to us about what led to this. Yeah. So um, so this project, this this collection is. In conver- it's poetry that's in conversation with the first eight chapters of Luke's gospel. And I got this, I got the idea. I So I'll, I'll first say that I didn't set out to write a, a, a book. I was just, I needed poetry as a way to just engage my own interior landscape um, with everything that was going on in the world. So this, I started writing what became God Speaks Through Wombs at the beginning of quarantine. So mm. it was something that I needed uh, to, to process, especially being here in New York during that, during yeah. the beginning of lockdown. Um, there was just so much going on and it's like, I'm just in my apartment and I can't do anything. And my, my daughters are five at the time and trying to parent them and navigate virtual school. And Ooh, then everything with mm. with, you know, um, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, all of the stuff at once. Poetry, I say it found me in a, in a new way during mm. that time. And um, But one of the things that I wanted to do with this project was uh, 
we were at the time um, sitting in the Psalms as the church. Um, and one of the things that I love about the, the tradition of the Psalms is that there is a tradition within um, rabbinic, the rabbinic school of thought within Midrash, Jewish Midrash, that uh, talks about how the Psalms, so the Psalms are broken up into five books across the 150 mm-hmm. chapters. And um, mm-hmm. each book is said to be in conversation with one of the five books of Torah. In, in, in a, in, not in a way that is kind of a commentary on them, but is in conversation with the themes of those books. So oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So, for example, right, um, like book two of the Psalms is from Psalm 42 to Psalm 72. And, you know, a lot of times when we read uh, the Psalms, we sort of read them as like individual reflections. And um, but when you read it with the backdrop of the themes of the, the book of Exodus with the themes of liberation and God's activity on behalf of the oppressed of the world and all of that, like the Psalms start to sound very different. Yeah. And um, and so what I wanted to do was really, I just started to ask the question, what would it look like then for the, for the, if the gospels were to give rise to poetry in our time, right? As a, as a community that's sort of reflecting and sitting with the, this text, what would it look like for poetry to, to rise out of that somehow? And to know that, you know, a lot of time, and I say this all the time, is that it's important to remember, right, that that Rome did not write the scriptures, right? That, this, that the text, the text was written by folks who were on the margins and on the edges, and it was first and foremost written for them, right? So, how what would it look like for us to then hear their voices afresh again, telling the story and and doing that in a new way in our time? And so that that was sort of my impetus for writing this. And I wanted to sit with Luke because Luke is already trying to do that anyway in his narrative, right? And the way that he's telling the gospel, he is um, really highlighting the voices of um, the, the poor. He's highlighting the voices of women in his narrative, which Luke is often called the gospel of women because of, I think, mm-hmm. I think it's, I heard, I read one time that Luke names and tells the stories of 13 more women than any wow. of the other gospel writers. And so he's very intentional about it. And so I just wanted to bring that in. And and as I was engaging just the poetry, I wanted to bring my full self um, as, a, as a black man navigating the landscape of American life to how I'm engaging the text and to the poetry and to let my imagination be what it wanted to be and not feel like I had to check myself at the door of interpretation. Drew, can you unpack this idea of minority text versus majority understanding? Because I think in the Western evangelical context, we have praised this to be the way and what we're seeing in scripture um, benefits uh, majority culture and almost using it as a thus saith the Lord. But in reality, we are reading the accounts of those who were oppressed and those who were harmed and those who were uh, those who were left and those who were overseen and overlooked. So can you kind of I think that's something that's gripped me even in just what you've shared so far is how we so easily forget that these are minority texts. Yeah. And I think it's important, even as we're talking about that, to, to name the fact that that that's not something that was happenstance. It 
it was intentional to it was an intentional move um by the powers by the empire right to use to take something like this text and turn it to the to, to benefit and to profit the powerful right right so it's a, it's a co-opting yep. it's a co-opting of this text is what it is mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. Because you, and you know, even how the text is taught, right? Like when, when it's taught in church and when we're like imagining, everybody imagines who they are in the text, right? As they're hearing it, as they're reading it. It's like, you know, you, you no one likes to say, oh, we're the Romans. Mm-hmm. But, but that's the, like, that would be a more appropriate American reading of the text to say, oh, we're the Romans. Exactly. So exactly. what does it mean for us to engage it from that perspective? You know what I mean? And, and so mm-hmm. um, I think that yeah just it's important for us to remember um and i think it's a more faithful reading of the text to name both our social location um how we're coming to the text but also like what's the social location of those who are writing who were telling this narrative and that is really one of the points that i wanted to make with this this poetry collection is to say you know through you know as god is showing up in the world and beginning to decisively act in human history, um, God chooses to do that through the people and the voices and the bodies of those who society has said don't have a voice, don't yeah. you know are, are are not the powerful, and and that's how God chooses to carry forward the story. So are we paying attention and then asking the question to say how then is God continuing to do that, and are we paying attention? to how God is doing that now. It's beautiful. I also, I'm curious, so thinking about, you know, obviously Luke telling all these stories about women, 13 more women. Mm-hmm. We have the Magnificat at the beginning and yes. how beautiful that is and the richness of Mary's praise and her her knowledge that God is gonna create equity among people at some point as we journey mm-hmm. together forward towards him. But Luke is also a doctor so I wonder, like, in society, is his place, you know, what is his place in society as he writes this? Mm-hmm. And is he using his more powerful position mm-hmm. to communicate value to people who normally wouldn't receive value? So I'm just curious how you've thought about Luke in this context. Mm, that's that is that's really good um, to think about Luke in terms of his own social location and then how he goes on to write this, this story. I think that's important. Um, yeah. I do. I mean, I I can't say definitively, but I think that Luke is probably conscious of that in terms of um, knowing how like he's he is coming as someone knowing I was not an eyewitness to these things. Right. Um, I was not one of the, the people who was a part of this, but I'm documenting it in such a way that the voices that need to be heard are heard. And um and so that's why I think even some of the stuff that Luke has in his gospel that some of the others don't have, like Luke was a doctor, but he was also a historian, right? And so he is, uh, the fact that he has the account of Jesus when he was a, a 12-year-old boy tells me, it, it, it tells me that likely Luke sat down with Mary and said, Mary, tell me some stories, right? Let's let's get this, let's get some of this stuff down, right? Because and he's and so he's not trying to like let me tell my own story he's saying how do how do we put these voices on the page so that they can be heard and and if i can use 
my profession or what I have in my bag for the, for the sake of letting their voices be heard, I want to do that. Right. And I think that's the beautiful power of Advent is, and poetry really, is this invitation to us to be thoughtful mm. about the world around us and to take a moment to pause and reflect. And poetry is mysterious in the sense that it doesn't tell you everything you need to know. It, it invites you to think. It invites you mm. to see. It invites you to ponder. And I think that's what Advent season does for us if we let it and we can get in the hustle bustle and the busy of Christmas and Tiffany talk Tiffany and I talk about this every year on the podcast so we can help people, you know, kind of put that down for a minute to be thoughtful and reflective because Advent is this invitation to us to be with God and to be with others. And I think without taking time to do that, we can't arrive at a true understanding of what is being communicated in scripture and what is happening in the world around us and what is our response and what is the invitation from God in the world around us. And I'm just curious, what, how do you connect you know, this idea of reflection with poetry, if you do at all, <laughs> you know, and inviting people to see differently than they might've seen before? Mm. I think uh, poetry, I think that's the point of poetry, <laughs> if poetry has a point, right? Um, I think that there's a reason that the so many of the biblical writers were poets, um, because like when you talk about the prophets and when you talk about even the um, some of the ways that Jesus used poetic devices in his parables, um, specifically his refusal to give an answer, his invitation always more deeply into a question, into the mystery yeah. of something. And I think that's, I think that's what poetry does. Poetry, it, you don't, you're not, you don't come to poetry because you're like, I need an, I need this to give me an answer. You come to poetry, you come to poetry to sit more deeply with the questions that we have. And I think that's what poetry is all about. And I think that's really, in a sense, what the life of faith is meant to do. It's not, we have, and I think this is a really Western construct, but to turn to turn this journey of faith into, I need an answer, give me certitude. Uh, but I think, yeah. I think poetry yeah. is, is something that is always saying, no, 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 stay with the mystery, stay with mm. the mystery. And that's that's and so that's what I think the invitation is to see differently is to say, OK, how can I actually see in such a way where I'm not demanding an answer, but I'm OK with the mystery of it all? I don't I can I can live with I'm learning to live in tension in a, in a, in a way with this sort of both and reality of things. OK, I want to drill down on that, Drew, because I think you just scratched an itch that so many are feeling and I think especially as you know many are deconstructing and and hopefully reconstructing mm -hmm. their faith the invitation to sit with tension is not an easy ask right mm -hmm. like this is a we're not we're, we're literally saying hey we don't have all the answers but lean into the mysticism of it all this mm -hmm. is beautiful this is holy you know it reminds me of ancient Jewish scholars who would would argue and and, mm -hmm. and you know debate ideas of who God is or how He operates in the world and the nature of His divinity for hours and hours and then come up with no answers at the end and be just fine just with fine. that 
just fine with that. And I think I, I agree. It's in this Western context where we're like, nope, if this doesn't make sense and I can't find a way to put my finger on it, dare I say, even control it. Mm-hmm. And I don't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's why I was so struck by your work and um, the the imagery that's evoked when I read your words is because it really just invites it invites mystery and it invites majesty and it invites mm-hmm. hope in a way that I think all of us need right now. And I think your words convey that it, it speaks to this cultural moment and it, it cuts through the noise. And I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, Advent books y'all could do right now out there why the listeners but i i recommend this i think it's it's fresh and it's just gonna it's gonna cut you to the core in the best way possible mm-hmm. um i i i want to know if you have a favorite and if and, it, and if so if there's anything you wouldn't mind quoting for us a little taster a little uh, okay um a favorite that's really hard i don't know that i have a i, I don't know that i have a favorite poem that i've written um they, they you like all your things. babies equally? I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, they do different things. They they're right. kind of they're yeah, kind of expressing go. different parts of of some things inside of me. So, but I mean, I will be more than happy to share something. If Come you want on me now, to. oh, yeah. Mm. So I know we um, we've been talking about Advent and Mary and questions and Magnificat and all of that. So. I can just share the poem that I wrote in reflection on the Magnificat, if that'll work. Oh. Yeah. So this this poem is called, That Girl Can Sing. I mean, she can sing. She has a voice that can shatter shackles. Her tune is no soothing lullaby. It thunders down through the arena of time. Sing, Mary, sing, like Fanny at the marches, like the high priestess of soul belting out her black gold, like Hannah breaking bows of mighty warriors. You better sing, Mary. Watch out. The sound of her voice will cast them down, way down. No doubt they will try to quiet you, soften you, make you into a domesticated maiden, but we're gonna play this song. Go on, Mary. Bless our ears with your sonic theology. Lift us up with your melodic doctrine. Magnify, magnify, this voice is magnificent. What the heck? That is so beautiful, Drew. Thank you so much. Mm. And how um, I think that what you've really done so beautifully is humanize Mary, you know, to think about her singing. You know, I don't Mm. know. I don't know how often we really spend use our prophetic imagination to sit and think about Mary worshiping God Mm. with a baby Jesus in her womb to sing to him what that might look like, feel like, sound like. And that is really what you've captured here. And that inspires me to worship, mm. to be honest. <laughs> well, like, I mean, that's what it was. The, the Magnificat yes. is a song. Is a yes, song. exactly. And, and we just read it so differently in our context. Yes. Y- y'all, I'm still in the fetal position. I haven't recorded. So just give me <laughs> one more minute and I'll be back. Ladies and gentlemen, you are so spoiled today. Shoot. <sighs>
Shoot, Drew. <laughs> uh, as we as we wind down, uh, you're you're a pastor. You're a shepherd. What are mm. you hoping for people in this season? Mm. What are you hoping that they take away? I mean, I think it it really goes back to what we were just talking about in terms of um, the invitation to sit with the mystery. And I and yeah. because I think when we talk about Advent, it's I mean all of the stuff surrounding Advent. When we talk about incarnation. We talk about like all of that is so mysterious. Like like to say to to speak about that in in this language of like certitude that we know. I I think removes something. I think it's 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 there's a reason why I think Advent happens in the darkest time of the year, right? It's there's there's a darkness around this. There's this sort of like what what is happening, how we and yet there is something that we can sense, this movement of God, this inbreaking, this, um, but yet we can't grasp it all. And I think that there's a to say that that is okay is important. And because, you know, so I think and I think that we've been told so often that we just have to we have to know. And I don't I don't think we do. (laughs) I think that we I mean, by nature of I mean, even when we talk about the term being a disciple, right, a disciple like discipleship or whatever. All we're talking about is being a student. And part of the nature of being a student is to say, I don't know. That's what it means to be a student. To, you don't sit in the classroom because you know everything. You sit in the classroom because you don't know and yeah. because you're curious and you're in this posture of learning. And so that's, I think that's, for me, like, that's the invitation. How do we continue to stay with the mystery, to stay curious about it, um, to question it, to wrestle with it, um, and to not feel like, in whatever direction we go, we have to run off to grabbing hold of what the answer is. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the that's the invitation of faith. And still expectant, right? Like still, still expectant. expectant that God will act. Still expectant yeah. that He will invade every part of us for our advancement, for our well being, for our good. Yes. And I think that's what I love about what you're talking about is it's not this. Hey, it's not that we hold this tension and nothing's going to happen. And, and mm-hmm. it's this cerebral practice. Not at all. It's still mind, body, spirit, soul. It's still a full body experience of expectancy, hope, and mystery. Exactly. Yes. And exactly. I feel like, you know, to be honest, the uncertainty is actually what gives me hope. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it has been like the recovery journey that I've been on for so long and knowing how many things are actually uncertain. But when I feel certain, when I want outcomes, when I want, you know, everything to be a certain way, when I want it right, when I want it this way or the other, like I'm fully operating in control and I'm fully you know, creating a false sense of security in my life Mm. and a false sense of safety. And I think what the last couple of years has done for all of us is help us recognize that all of the safety and security that we felt, that all of the things that we've created and controlled can be brought down in an instant. Mm. And Mm -hmm. you can immediately Mm -hmm. lose your relationships. You can immediately lose your connections. For many people, they lost their jobs. For many people, they lost the opportunity to see family for even two years at a time. I know single people who did not get 
get to hug anyone living in New York and LA who didn't hug anyone for 18 months. And so I think like we have to really think about what is certainty doing for us? It mm -hmm. is not, you know, cultivating in us a heart of hope and it is mm -hmm. not cultivating in us faith and it is not cultivating in us love. And I understand why we do it. And I'm, I'm greatly right. tempted to do it all the time. I like control. It makes me feel okay. It makes me feel secure and it helps me. But part of walking with Jesus is recognizing that we don't have it and that any moment it can go away. And then what have we built our life on? It's mm. not hope. It's not the rock. It's not Jesus. It's not our connections with others. You know, it's all these outcomes that we've created. And so it's important that we just really listen and lean into what Drew is saying here, because you're right. Like uncertainty gives us hope. <laughs> mm. I, I wanted to share with you all the, this, this quote that has been really important for me. Um, that I think applies both to how I've been approaching poetry, but just where I've been sitting sitting with the life of faith is a quote by the the poet, the Austrian poet Rainer Maria Rilke, and he wrote it in his book Letters to a Young Poet. And in the in this correspondence, he's writing with a young poet who has all sorts of questions about life and love and poetry and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And Rilke says to him this: He says, he says, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually without noticing it live along some distant day into the answer. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh my, oh my goodness. Ay, ay, ay. What a, so what an image of of the Christian life. Mm. Right. Until we see Jesus face to face, that's our answer. Mm -hmm. This is a life of questions. Yes. And going back to your analogy Drew of, of us as students like no one likes a know-it-all student. Nobody. <laughs> no one likes no, a student who no, thinks no. they and they don't want Nobody. help. Nobody. And they, they think they got it all down and they're yep. not teachable. Mm. Right. And that certainty makes their world small. That's and I think right. as we bam. As we reckon with showing up at church and realizing <laughs> values and beliefs we thought were shared with our brothers and sisters in the kingdom, we found out that they didn't care for us in a way mm. that that we thought they did or, or or they didn't share those same beliefs and values about our brothers and sisters of color or, or those who make less than them are incarcerated i mean fill in the blank we we've we've all come to discover what we think in our our inner man has been on display in a way that's been discouraging and there's been a level of certainty so many of us have had of like no i'm right and i'm right and i'm right and i'm right but when you yield that at the cross, mm. when you're willing to be a student to what could be and listen to your brothers and sisters and going back to what we started with, listening to those minority voices, we're going to hear a song that we needed to hear from the start. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Oh, okay. <sighs> Drew, what a freaking gift, man. Why aren't y'all at his church? Y'all need to go if you live in New York. <laughs> 
And Drew, um, will you will you tell us? Because I forgot to circle back. I got to, so distracted by poetry, and yes. you know, it's it's about to be the holiday seasons in New York, and some people might be visiting or want to come or might live there. Yes. Why don't you tell us what what is your favorite holiday thing to do, and tell mm. us where should people be eating oh. in New York? Wow, what a, that's a that's a big question. <laughs> where <laughs> where should people be eating? What are my favorite? So. Um, are you like asking what's my favorite holiday thing to do in the city? Yeah. Mm. To stay as far away from Times Square as I can. <laughs> Preach! <laughs> it's a, that's a, that's good a answer. sermon. It's a sermon and a word. Just don't even go. <laughs> don't go there. Because <laughs> first of all, you're not going to actually run into any people who are from New York there. No, you're not. Because they're be... avoiding it like a plague. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So go to some of the places that aren't that. I mean, it's cool. I guess it's cool to see the the big tree and all that. But like, mm-hmm. come over, come over, hang out in the Lower East Side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we got we got a ton of talk about food. I mean, this neighborhood just has so many different choices. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's kind of overwhelming, actually. Well, uh, someone's about to get some free marketing to thousands and thousands of people. Oh, so man. you took wisely, sir. So, so many. So let's see. I love. There's a. There's a. There's a. There's a. Korean fried chicken. Oh yes, yes. you're speaking our language. Yep. You are so, speaking our language. Yes, and I live in LA, so you better come correct. Yeah, because we have. Yeah, the best. well, there's a. Yes, there's a. There's a spot. There's a spot uh, in the neighborhood called Boca, and mm. Boca. Yeah, Boca, they're they're top notch. They're top notch. It's it's yeah, so check it out. Check out Boca. Um, there's a Dominican spot in the neighborhood called Gina's. Gina's is good. And um, what else? We, I mean, I could keep listening. You want me to keep listening? <laughs> oh, these are good. Oh, that's I think, good. I think Gina's we'll and Boca, they get yeah. it. They get it. We got it. We appreciate it. Drew, seriously, Gina you and are, Boca, Gina's and Boca's, you can pay your affiliate fee to uh, Drew Jackson <laughs> for every meal. Everybody's a fried chicken. He gets 2% oh, plus tax. That's so okay, good. Go Sorry. Take us home, the Ashley. Best. Take us home. <laughs> I just, Drew, thank you. I mean, we couldn't have asked for a better episode for our Advent time on why though and the way that you write and the way that you speak is so invitational and so thank you for inviting us into the presence of god and into the mystery of god and why the listeners we just encourage you to pick this book of poetry up like you do not want to miss the opportunity to sit with the lord and to listen to what god is saying and speaking through these words and drew thank you for being a guest and we're praying blessings over you and your church and your beautiful twins and thank you thank you thank you thank you Uh, thank you so much and why though listeners we will see you back here again next week and be sure to check out the show notes for a link to drew's book and of course gina's and boca Uh blessings on blessings (laughs) bye-bye bye Hey listeners, remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit tiffanybloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit ashabercrombie.org. See you next week.